The science now confirms and growing numbers of groups and initiatives around the world are pointing out, we are a species on a path to self-extinction. That is Dr. David C. Corton delivering a paper just this morning to the Living Earth Movement. And this morning, we'll hear in Australia which Friday, May 27. First, we'll have some formalities, then we'll learn a little more about David and hear what he had to say when he presented his paper to the Living Earth Movement. Welcome to this latest episode of Climate Conversations. I'm your host, Robert McLean. It's so great to have you on board. Climate Conversations is assembled here in Shepparton, in Northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people, and I pay my respects to elders, past, present and emerging. This podcast is proudly associated with the Mark Spencer published Climactic Collective. The collective can be found at climactic.fm. Music for this podcast comes courtesy of the Melbourne-based group Music for a Warming World, and you can find a link for that group in the show notes. I trust you'll enjoy this episode of Climate Conversations, and should that be the case, please feel free to share it with your friends. The climate crisis is so serious it needs your undivided attention, and so your attention would be appreciated for this podcast. David C. Corton is the founder and president of the Living Economies Forum, co-founder, board member and board chair of Yes Magazine, an associate fellow of the Institute for Policy Studies and a full board member of the Club of Rome. Let's listen now as he presents his paper to the Living Earth Movement. We humans have reached a defining choice point. The science now confirms and growing numbers of groups and initiatives around the world are pointing out, we are a species on a path to self-extinction. A viable human future depends on deep transformation of our ways of living consistent with our needs and responsibilities as a species with a distinctive capacity to choose our future. As we awaken to the seriousness of our situation, Momentum is building around a transformational social movement, a living earth movement, dedicated to the well-being of all people and the living earth community on which the well-being of all life depends. This crisis calls us to reawaken to a basic truth recognized by our early ancestors and now affirmed by the leading edge of science. South Africans know it as Ubuntu. That translates, I am because you are. Such power in five words. I am because you are. Guided by this truth, early humans self-organized as small, relatively isolated communities of people who together created and shared their means of living gathered from the natural bounty of their place. But as the human population grew, communities began to compete for control of the territory on which their means of living depended. 
Competing nation states emerge using military, police, and economic powers to centralize control by the few of the means of living of the many. The power of transnational corporations and financiers now eclipses the power of most nation states. In a reckless and increasingly self-destructive system of global exploitation of people and earth to grow the financial fortunes of billionaires. This system centralizes power in institutions delinked from accountability to the people whose lives these institutions are destroying. The winners consume massive resources to maintain the structures of domination and to reward themselves with lives of opulent, ultimately dehumanizing extravagance. The extreme inequality, environmental devastation, and violence that result drive conflict and a loss of institutional credibility that together put us on our current devastating path. So last month in our session, John Perkins and John Cobb explained the dynamic that drives the crisis. And they also made clear the special role and responsibility of the United States in advancing the economic theories and policies that hold major responsibility for the current potentially terminal global crisis. Transnational corporations that brand themselves as U.S. citizens when that serves their purpose now control the U.S. government and rule the world. Domestically, extreme political division, driven by corporate interests as a means of securing their power, has rendered the United States government largely incapable of positive leadership and stripped it of global credibility. Hope for the human future resides in a self-evident truth. Humans depend on the health and function of the living earth that birthed and nurtures us. Here is the bottom line. There will be no human winners on a dead earth. Consequently, competing to be the last superpower or the richest corporate billionaire on a dying earth is madness. We have a common interest, rich and poor alike, in creating a world of equality, shared wealth that works for all. It is a defining goal of the Living Earth Movement to bring together the world's people in common cause. And this has special relevance for the peoples of the United States, the world's outgoing global economic and military superpower, and for China, the world's emerging superpower. Hope for saving humanity from itself may reside in recognition that we, the people of the United States and China, share an interest in a future in which power is equitably shared by all the world's people rather than being concentrated in superpower nations and transnational corporations. Now, in 1987, I was introduced to an essential insight into life's existence and well-being by a path-breaking microbiologist of Chinese ancestry, Dr. Mei Wan Ho. Dr. Ho introduced herself to me at an international conference in Santiago, Compostela, Spain. 
She explained that she knew my work on corporate rule, and she thought her work as a microbiologist might be relevant. Then using the example of the human body, she illustrated a transformational insight into how life's existence depends on its ability to self-organize from the bottom up as interdependent communities of living beings. She observed that each human body is composed of 30 to 40 trillion living cells that in turn depend on the support of comparable trillions of microbial cells, including wondrously varied forms of bacteria, viruses, and fungi we depend on to digest the food in our gut, among other functions. Each cell makes constant decisions essential to the function of the human body, that vessel of our consciousness and instrument of our agency. Now, Earth is a vastly larger and more complex organism, but it too survives as a living being only for so long as its countless individual organisms self-organize as a living community to create and maintain the conditions of climate, pure air and water, fertile soil, and much else on which Earth's life depends. Members of each self-organizing living community constantly adapt to local conditions to meet their own needs in ways consistent with the well-being of both self and the larger community of which they are a part. We humans must now relearn how to live together with one another and nature. But in a modern context that is very different from that of our ancient ancestors, Living by the Ubuntu principle on a global scale with new knowledge and technology presents significant new challenges and opportunities. Using tools of science that were beyond the means of our ancestors, we are coming to a profound understanding of creation's extraordinary complexity and interdependence to which previous humans had no access. Quantum physics tells us that relationships, not particles, are the foundation of what we experience as material reality. Biology is finding that intelligent life exists only in diverse communities of choice-making organisms that together create and maintain through their labor the conditions essential to their individual and collective existence. The social sciences are finding that the most equal human societies are the healthiest, and that humans get their greatest satisfaction from caring for other living beings. As science informs us, the living earth we currently know did not just magically come to be. It was a difficult journey of mutual labor and learning over some 3.7 billion years. During this time, life evolved from rudimentary microbes to living organisms of ever greater physical and cognitive abilities. Creation continues to unfold and life continues to learn through collaborative bottom-up self-organization. And we humans have a distinctive ability to shape the future of life on Earth with conscious collective intention. We have yet to acquire, however, the wisdom to use this ability responsibly. Now, for thousands of years, humans have turned to religion for our deepest understanding of creation, 
of our human place and purpose within creation, and the ethical principles we must apply in our relations to one another and earth. Most of our religious teachings to which we turn for moral guidance, however, are the product of long ago times. Christianity, the faith that now claims more than two billion adherents, is one of the most recent of major religions. It looks to the authority of the words of a teacher named Jesus, who lived some 2,000 years ago. Earth's total human population was then an estimated 300 million, mostly illiterate people. Most humans could communicate with one another only by meeting physically and speaking one-to-one. Neither Jesus nor any other human of that time had any means to to examine creation's distant suns and planets or the complex and ever-active invisible inner workings of seemingly solid matter and living organisms. We are now a world of nearly 8 billion mostly literate people with a capacity for instant communication and possessed of instruments that allow us to view previously invisible worlds. We look to outer space to observe the beginnings of time. We observe the complex and dynamic worlds of subatomic particles and microorganisms. Together, these observations give us ever deeper understanding of creation and the human place within it. You're here with Climate Conversations and we're listening to Dr. David Corton delivering a paper to the Living Earth Movement, a paper called Ecological Civilization, a global movement of living people of a living earth. We're in desperate need of a coming together of all the world's religions, not around a new spiritual leader or religious text, but around a process of collective learning as we envision together a possible future grounded in an ethical frame consistent with traditional indigenous understanding, the best established religious teachings, and breakthrough findings on the frontiers of science. We will learn together drawing from all our many sources of understanding, or we will join the ranks of Earth's many failed species that once thrived but are now extinct. Leadership in finding our way to the ecological civilization on which our future depends is not likely to come from those seated in positions of power in the establishment institutions responsible for our current crisis. Some among them may join in the cause, but important leadership in creating a viable human future is more likely to come from within excluded communities that have borne the consequences of our current institutional failure and have a deep understanding of its causes. Now let us be clear that our call to an ecological civilization is not a call for people to sacrifice for the well-being of Earth. Rather, it is a call to create a better life for all. It is a call to rethink human purpose, power, and procreation, the three Ps of the pathway to an ecological civilization. The purpose of a functioning human society and a productive economy is to secure the well-being of the finite living earth and all its people. 
The well-being of both people and earth is best served by peace, equality, material sufficiency, and spiritual abundance. The things we are called to give up may result in lowering GDP growth, but with significant potential gains for the well-being of people on earth. These are examples of what we must give up. War and preparations for war. Obsessive, frivolous consumption driven by advertising rather than need. Planned obsolescence. Financial speculation and cryptocurrencies that consume enormous energy and human talent while producing nothing of real value. Long linear supply chains that undermine community security to boost corporate profits. An infrastructure that leaves us dependent on private cars to meet daily needs. After purpose comes power. For global society to fulfill its life-serving purpose, Power must reside in communities of place that empower people to fulfill their responsibilities to and for themselves, one another, and earth. This requires shifting power from money-serving, profit-maximizing transnational corporations to life-serving, well-being-maximizing local communities, and from financial speculators to those who provide productive labor. This will require dramatic rethinking and restructuring of our institutions of business, government, education, science, and religion, topics in need of much deeper exploration. Now, reading power in healthy living communities brings us to the third P, procreation. The health of living communities depends on the continuous regenerative procreation of people and all the other diverse species that together maintain the pure air and water, fertile soils, climate stability, and species balance on which the community's well-being depends. This raises a fundamental question we have too long avoided. If our goal is healthy people on a healthy planet, then we must ask, what is the optimal number of humans consistent with the well-being of both people and the finite earth on which those people depend? There is no simple answer. The healthier Earth's natural systems, the greater the number of humans Earth can support. That number, however, is ultimately finite. Now, producing healthy children is essential to long-term human viability. But our human family has more than enough abused and neglected children. What we lack is adequate attention to the care and development of all our children to assure that they achieve their full potential as intelligent, responsible contributors to the well-being of the whole. Imagine a world in which every child is a wanted child, loved and supported by a caring family and a caring community, and that looks forward to a meaningful and enjoyable adulthood. This will surely be a world in which all women are provided with education, attractive employment opportunities, and the means of fertility control. Given our context, these are ambitious goals. All depend on making the right choices of culture, institutions, technology, and infrastructure. We are far from adequate answers. We are only beginning to ask the right questions. Now, just as we have made some very bad choices, we now have the knowledge and communication tools needed to make better choices. 
Can we do it with the required speed? We will know only if we try. So where can we turn for initial guidance? The Earth Charter is my favorite current statement of guiding principles for an ecological civilization. It concludes with this simple yet profound truth. Quote, the choice is ours. Form a global partnership to care for Earth and one another, or risk the destruction of ourselves and the diversity of life. Fundamental changes are needed in our values, institutions, and ways of living. We must realize that when basic needs have been met, human development is primarily about being more, not having more, unquote. Most religions call us to love and care for our neighbors and all that the eternal spirit has created. In 2015, the Parliament of the World's Religions issued a declaration on climate change that closed with these words, quote, the future we embrace will be a new ecological civilization in a world of peace, justice, and sustainability with the flourishing of the diversity of life. We will build this future as one human family within the greater earth community, unquote. Success depends on actualizing our ability to organize as a civil society. The sector where the power of we the people ultimately and properly resides. In a fully functioning ecological civilization, government and business sectors will be creations of and accountable to a civil society. To we the people, embracing our rights and responsibilities as citizens of the living earth. We can be citizens of only one nation, but we are all citizens of earth with the rights and responsibilities that that implies. In that role, we can act immediately to advance three goals. One, frame a shared vision of human possibility. Deep in each human heart resides a vision of the world that could be. So let us join in conversation to craft together a shared vision of that world and to explore pathways to its achievement. Number two, organize as vital creative living communities. We long for the togetherness of strong and caring families and communities. Let us join in community service projects that bring us together to restore the health of nature while better serving community needs in the places where we live. Specific actions range from supporting local regenerative agriculture to increasing walkability and bikeability. Number three, Advance supportive public policies. We long for democratic governments accountable to the people they claim to serve. Let us join in political action dedicated to securing that accountability in support of peace, equality, and environmental care. Now, as we contemplate the seriousness of the crisis at hand and the opportunity within our reach, we might note that this is not just about Earth and the human species. The evolution of life is an ongoing process in which Earth appears to have a very special place. Science currently estimates that there are 70 billion trillion 
stars within the observable universe. Now, nearly all stars have planets. However, we have yet to identify any planet other than Earth that we have reason to believe has Earth-like surface qualities capable of supporting life as we know it. Our current human choices have consequences not just for us, but as well for this uncommon planet and the continued evolutionary unfolding of life in the universe. Our immediate challenge is to recognize and act on the emergency at hand in ways that enable the emergence of a civil civilization guided by an economics dedicated to the well-being of life. The time is now, the choice is ours. We are the ones we've been waiting for. Wow, powerful stuff, David. You'll find links in the show notes that'll tell you more about David also, the Living Earth Movement. Climate Conversations is published with the support of the Mark Spencer published Climactic Collective. And it's just one of more than 20 podcasts making up that collective. More about the collective and the associated podcasts can be found at climactic.fm. Music for Climate Conversations is from the Melbourne-based group Music for a Warming World. You can find a link to that group in the episode notes. Responsibility for Climate Conversations rests with me. But you could help with the questions. And if there is something specific that needs addressing, but the question is not being asked of whom it should be asked, please make a suggestion and send it to r.mclean7 at icloud.com. Earlier episodes of Climate Conversation can be found at the Climactic website. Simply search for climactic.fm. Go to the Climate Conversations artwork, click on that, and there you will find all the earlier episodes. Beyond that, in all this climate chaos, remember just a few things. Put your faith in genuine climate science. Also, action is the best antidote to despair. And that, I must add is one of the drivers of this podcast. And remember, be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. That ends this episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company, and until we talk again, please take care.